0: Welcome to the Show Up podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. This week, we talk about diversity in the workplace and what it might be like to lead in a diverse way. The conversation very quickly started to explore some ideas of what we might undertake to make that happen and approaches through which people can think about diversity and learning about people's backgrounds, their history and the impact that can have and really started to come up with one or two practical ways that you as a listener may be able to think about the way you approach people so you can get the best out of them fully appreciating the history that's come before it so enjoy and let us know any comments you might have
1: afternoon gents and welcome to this next episode of the show podcast today we're gonna have a little bit of a shorter conversation but a really important conversation about diversity And we're very conscious that we are three white, straight males discussing diversity and that this is a potentially risky thing for us to do. But we also think it's an important topic and we're not going to shy away from it. And the reason that we wanted to talk about this was I've made this observation recently that diversity has been talked about a lot for a a number of years now and is pretty well established as something that is important and beneficial for teams and there are a number of different ways we can think about diversity that we'll get into but one of the bits that's missing in that conversation I think is the is what it's like to work in a diverse team so we often have this sense that or we're told that working in a diverse team is better for us. We have better outcomes. We get better solutions. The businesses perform better when teams are diverse. And all of that is true. The data supports it. And I think Jamie might have some data he can throw in later to, to back that up. The reason that that works is that you have people bringing different viewpoints and experiences together. And what you're really trying to get at in a diverse team is cognitive diversity a range of different ways of thinking and different experiences. And often we use all these other proxies for diversity to get there. We think about race and gender and sexuality and disabilities and neurodiversity versus neurotypical. But all of those are really, in my judgment, proxies for cognitive diversity and bringing teams together that think differently. And the bit that's missing from the conversation around this, in my view, is that those cognitively diverse teams are much less comfortable to work in. That's part of the reason that they work, that you've got clashes you've got different points of view. You've got to be much more flexible and adaptive in the way that you operate within that team. And in the context of leaders and leadership, the leader of that team or everybody in that team that's playing a leadership role of some kind has to adapt to working in that more cognitively diverse team so that's the angle that i'm interested to take on this is is it how do we get comfortable with that discomfort and how do we navigate our way through working in a diverse team where people might have experiences that are alien to us have points of view that we don't agree with and that we need to listen to and take on board and ultimately get to decisions that lead to better outcomes that's the angle i'd like to take
0: graham how about you it's fascinating actually because i'm reading something i'm going to read something i've got in front of me because i had to submit a rfp recently to a client and they've asked a very specific question around diversity um the question how do you address diversity and cultural differences in your coaching style And I'll read my response, if that's all right, because I think it ties in nicely with where you come in. Well, I hope it does. Um, And I said, to me, culture is one of the fundamental factors that influence an individual's character and behavioral preferences. It can be the source of motivation and where the architecture for choice is designed and developed. Because of this, I approach all coaches with a curiosity curiosity to learn of their culture and the role it plays in shaping how they show up in the world today including their leadership style. Removing judgment in my approach I find is critical to appreciating all that diversity and cultural difference offers and the positive impact that can have on the world. So as you say about what you're starting to see is important and noticing is important in this systemic ecosystem of teams, what I like about that cognitive diversity piece is it's not diminishing the importance of any one of those particular facets you mentioned. I think the the focus that's been on years has really paid attention to the fact that there is value in every single person and where they come from and their history. What I think is as we move forwards and look to find solutions, or how to bring that on board. we're now starting to move into this phase of using diversity to its maximum effect. That's my dude, for now. Nice. Jamie? Jamie.
2: Well, you know what, as I was listening to that, thank you for Graham for sharing your last bit, but as I was listening to Terry, um, the description of the thing that isn't being addressed really started to um, click on the light bulbs in my head around other topics that we've covered um, so far in this series. I'm sure we'll dip into again in future. And this idea that um, what you're essentially doing is finding a proxy for different ways of thinking, but managing that and interacting with it or collaborating with it is difficult. It's certainly more difficult than just being part of a group that thinks the same way. But with that difficulty comes breakthroughs and, and, and opportunities for new ideas to really test boundaries that either are in place for no good reason or actually need to be broken down. And it made me think of the, some of the capacities of adult development around opposable perspectives or opposing perspectives and the ability to both understand them and hold them. Inside a team construct that is truly diverse, and how challenging that really is, because it's not something that's just naturally part of necessarily our makeup. Um, and I think, therefore, there's so much so much of that diversity discussion to be had about what does it really ask of you as a leader, both to be a role model for, but then the, to create a container and the space for others to truly be comfortable with the discomfort of. Truly really diverse teams and and opposable perspectives and different experiential backgrounds and so on and so forth that are all very constructively then explored. That's a really powerful topic. That's certainly more than the time we've got now, but it's just filled my head with that. But as you say, the data and all the all the evidence that's easily available. If you go to the TC the Chan School of Public Health, uh, Harvard talks about a whole variety of sorry, TH Chan. School of Public Health in Harvard talk about all sorts of of the benefits for the Fortune 1000 of having more gender representation at board level, um, female gender representation, Um, whether that be simply uh, the access to greater talent pools because of role models, whether it's more ideas, whether it's just purely on the outcome of the the organisations that have greater gender equity at that level um, appear to perform better than the rest. If you then look at something, there's another website called Serenity and Leadership, which takes a slightly more rounded view of some of the data. Um, And that's quite an interesting read for anybody who would like to know a little bit more about the other kind of categories of diversity and the impacts that those have around disabilities, neurodiversity, as well as gender, sex and, and so on and so forth. Most of the data points to the fact that greater diversity, if you can harness it, if you embrace it. Leads to better outcomes, to one degree or another. It's about, as you said, Derry. It's about therefore how do you uh, attract it, how do you enable it, how do you harness it, do you live with the discomfort of the the fact that what you're doing is bringing in um, opposing perspectives at the times where disagreement is the most productive outcome. That's a it's a really fascinating topic.
0: Yeah, like I look at, like I'd I'd be really curious to go and. See. Like, rewind two years ago, openai.com. You know, they, they're sitting on a product that the world hasn't, is known likely exists, but hasn't really seen it in practice. Because openai.com is the brainchild that's led to chat GPT, right? And I'm interested to see what your perspective is on how they're dealing with the ethical challenge of what AI could deliver in this world because when I hear from it and know that it's led the chief technology officer is female but I before I knew that I looked at the way it was come across and I always got a huge degree of compassion for this ethical challenge and we're really consciously working with that and we we want to land that in a way that means that this tool can service society as we hope it to without that malicious aspect of how it could be used. So that's just one facet that I see of the role women play in organisational decision making as just, you know, strategic choice. I can really start to see the benefits of that in moments like that, because it is speaking to some of the bits that may previously never have been spoken to, because they were railroaded by a pursuit of profit, let's say that you know, sometimes men traditionally all follow, right? So.
1: well, I think there's a it's important to make a distinction between female and feminine and male mm. and masculine. Mm-hmm. And so just because someone is female in a leadership position doesn't mean that they have traditionally feminine attributes yeah. in terms of their personality and their attitude, yeah. etc. And I think I think the argument for diversity, and I don't know the data, but I think the argument is that more feminine attributes in boardrooms leads to better outcomes mm. and they are typically on average found in females not males but mm. um i think there's a, there's a few different things i want to unpack from what you've both said actually and i wonder if i'm missing in the way that i articulated this at the start i feel i'm missing an important aspect of diversity which is and i'm i'm reminded of a conversation with a consulting client of mine um when we were talking about recruitment and talking about recruiting diverse teams uh and we were talking about diverse socio-socioeconomic diversity and neurodiversity and the uh, what you might term less visible forms of diversity and i was kind of taken aback because this hr person said to me we can I think all of that's great, and it's really important, but we would never support anything that reduced our visible diversity and what they meant is they want they needed recruits to be walking into a room of people that was obviously had a large proportion of female and non-white people in that room. They wanted that visible diversity, and at the time, I was kind of taken aback at how sort of shallow that seemed to me. But actually, on reflection, and I think, Jamie, what you talked about in terms of the board representation, one of the really important aspects of diversity that helps organizations is that when senior people with diverse characteristics are visible in the organization, that provides aspiration to other teams. And for leaders kind of progressing through, it helps them look at people at senior levels and think, okay, that... There is a role for me there. I can fit in there. I'm part of this organization. And I think that's probably an important angle on it as well. Mm-hmm. That is not about my original kind of setup of this conversation was about problem solving in specific teams and the challenges of that. But actually, there's a there's an immediate problem solving benefit to diversity and there's the longer term benefit of having a a more visibly diverse team. And I think one of the challenges for organizations is how do you get not just the really obviously visible facets of diversity to be visible but how do you get socioeconomic diversity and uh, mindset diversity and neurodiversity how do you get those aspects to be visible and known in the leadership team as well
2: yeah um as you're describing it i'm starting to think of another idea I and mean, we kind of layering on different um aspects of complexity to what is already a quite a complex emotional topic for many um it's it's the question how do labels that relate to the different categories of diversity help or hinder the adoption of truly diverse practices so i'm thinking to myself as we start to use the labels of the different categories what happens if i miss one what happens if i put more more importance on one than another depending on the context I'm in as a business, as a leader, and given my own biases that almost certainly will influence which of those I would probably put in order, even if I wasn't necessarily trying to put them in order of priority. So I'm thinking, oh, me, the labelling here actually could expose what I do or don't appreciate about diversity. That puts me slightly on edge, I can feel it. Then the other side of it is, um, without the labelling, how do you speak to the representative groups so how, do you, how can you encourage people to identify as you said identify that this is something that is embraced here um so it helps and it hinders in that respect but it's one of these things that i think over time um now that there are almost certainly more labels for groups in society than there have been at any time in history that are considered Um, perhaps part of the portfolio of the richness of society that should be embraced from a diversity standpoint it's kind of inevitable that they will be used but i'm thinking wow how does it help how does that make things more difficult more challenging more complex for a leader to navigate and is there is there a simpler way of just saying we love differences
1: well i I think that's a great point jamie i and i think when you play out the trend that we're seeing at the moment of ever more labels, ever more groups, if you really play that out to its end game, you end up with everybody in a group of one. Mm. And we might label that group of one using whatever, whatever we like, but there's people will exist at this kind of intersect of multiple different groups. And then I, and then I, and I don't think that's helpful. I don't think, I don't think a lot of these labels are particularly helpful and I go back to what, graham referenced and the two words that stood out for me in your response to that rfp graham were a curiosity about the individual and a lack of judgment and mm. even what well, i don't think he said it but implicit in there is a lack of assumption yeah. and one of the risks i find with the labels is that you label somebody as gay and you make a whole ton of assumptions about how they think mm. which is nonsense mm. In exactly the same way wow. as you label someone as a white male and you make a whole ton of assumptions about how they think and it's yeah. nonsense and any other of the the but, sets of labels. It's curiosity about the individual, which I think is...
0: Well, that's it. Like, my I wife, see. you know, my wife's British-born Chinese. She was raised in a Chinese household. She's raised in Chinese culture, and she very much thinks in that way. She, she was raised in the West. So she sees both sides of it, but there are times when I see her Chinese heritage coming through in how she approached a problem or how she enjoys a moment and things like that. And I don't remember the time when I used to judge it as a problem. I just used to know, oh, it's a bit different to the way I think. Let's see what, where she's coming from. Let's learn about it. Let's, let's get under the surface of that. And I, I wonder if it would be worthwhile looking it through this lens to your question, Jamie, is how we move beyond the labels and and stuff like that. We use the analogy, the the frame that's come up for me is the one that Derry, you gave us all those moons ago. Pies, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. If we start to look at diversity from that lens, the physical to me very much comes out as what you see. What do the other layers start to show you if we think about diversity? Point for discussion.
1: Yeah, I like that. I really like that. And actually, hmm. if you were to actively do that, you're actively forcing yourself to look beyond the physical, to look beyond the label, and particularly to get to that emotional level, hmm. which is you know something that we all, I think, have a belief is important within within organisations.
0: Because the intellectual one is what I've just described. Take the time to go and have a look at the other side and learn about it. That, for me, feels like an intellectual exercise. So what's then the emotional level Start. I've now started to think through what the emotional level of this might look like. And I start to think, well, it's an appreciation for where that heritage comes from. It's simple things like my wife speaks Cantonese. Cantonese language is very, very direct. It doesn't have a lot of the nuances or emotional twinges that we we see in English language. So if I say to you, pass the salt and pepper, the Cantonese version is salt and pepper, please. It's It, it hasn't got the can you please and all of the context that comes with it. So from an emotional level, I start to see myself noticing, okay, she isn't trying to be rude by asking, just saying salt and pepper, please. It's it, There's no rudeness in it, despite what lessons of Englishness, let's say, might have taught us about, oh, you should use your P's and Q's politely when asking for someone to do something for you. And that's where I start to, the emotional level starts to come in for me. I've, I've given you boys this frame. What's this frame sparking off in the way you well, think just about thinking, diversity?
2: Yeah. On that unemotional one as well, I think there's a a thinking about um, some of the folks who might be listening to this saying, well, how do I take that on board in terms of what that might mean for me? I think the emotional one is also about how do I react to different forms of diversity on the rich spectrum of the different labels or categories that might exist? How do I respond to it do I feel comfortable with it do I feel threatened by it and and while I could judge myself as good or bad because I have those reactions the fact that I've got to have got to, got to acknowledge that they exist is part of the emotional dimension um, to this diversity uh, concept otherwise if you don't acknowledge that you might have a predisposition or a reaction to either become subject or object to um, a form of diversity or even the idea that you've got to work harder to embrace it and give it space and and allow it to flourish. Um, That's something that I think is um, a fascinating thing to explore as well. The the PIES acronym, I think, works on so many different levels with the diversity concept without having to call it diversity. Physical, what do you notice? What do we notice? intellectual it's not always obvious what is diverse and how do you embrace that emotional how do you respond to it where does it come from and then spiritual what does that I mean that can imply a whole bunch of different things around um diversity um, either as a, as a as a version of diversity as well as um how do I embrace it as part of who I am a really really great frame
1: yeah I, I agree I think it works really well the um emotional question what the other the other angle that brings up for me is the we talk about kind of gut instinct and and making gut decisions from the gut or decisions from the heart and when you're in a diverse team and you've got somebody who is predisposed to making gut decisions as opposed to super rational or analytical decisions that can be really difficult to accept as well, because often that gut decision, that gut instinct will go against your life experience as a leader who doesn't have the same life experience as that person that's expressing that, which comes from that emotional, emotional state that they're in. So it makes me one of the things, and I'd like to get into the, the challenges around how you actually help these diverse teams make better decisions. So One of the... Say we like you've got a team of people, there's four or five people in a team and you're trying to make a decision about something and you want to make the best quality decision you can. You want to make it with the right amount of effort. You want to make it faster than your competition might make a similar decision. As part of decision effectiveness within a team, these are the types of things that you need to be thinking about. One of the... challenges of diverse teams is decision making can be slowed down a lot if you don't have an appropriate framework to cut through things and and make those decisions effectively and one of the worries i have with the whole concept of leading diverse teams is how do you balance that like so I, i might come in and have a framework that i'm using that i'd think about to make a decision and I would, the way that I operate typically is more on the intellectual level than the emotional level in my, in my decision-making. And I'd have a team member who might look at a problem in a completely different way, might bring more of that emotional decision-making to bear and just cut straight across my framework, like bring in things that just do not fit with my frame of reference and how I'm thinking about making that decision. And what I don't know how to do consistently is ensure that that person's input is appropriately incorporated without going off down a million rabbit holes and off on tangents and wasting a lot of time in unproductive conversation either because of the way that i'm approaching it or because of the way they're approaching it and then that once you take that from one two people having a conversation to four or five people having a conversation the risk of unproductive conversation that leads to slow decision making is amplified how do we how do we think how do we like navigate through that whilst maintaining this appropriate level of curiosity about other people's ideas and where they've come from
0: Got a little model we've well, got, got a set of questions that you can do um, so first question in the moment where something is proposed let's say, what is your initial reaction? Write it down. Second question, where in you does that original reaction come from?
1: And is that, when you when you say that reaction, are you thinking about an emotional reaction?
0: Yeah, emotional reaction. Like what's your, are, like, you, to, yeah. are, like, are you towards the idea? Are you challenging the idea? Or, yeah, I love yeah, it, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So identify what your reaction is first. Second stage, where in you does that orig- that reaction originate from what story inside you does that originate that reaction come from having identified the story where where could that story help this challenge and where could that story hinder this challenge with awareness and the final part with awareness of those two pieces what is an appropriate way for you to move this forwards in service of the solution we're trying to find. And would you run that with everybody in the group? Yeah. So rather than talk about, oh, I just want to talk about the story of emotion that's going on, because we've all sat there, right? We've all sat there in those moments where everyone talks, oh, I think this and I don't think that and we've got to factor this and it becomes a 20 minute round robin. If you lead people through those five parts, or four parts with a 3A and 3B, if you want to look at it that way. Lead people through that. Everyone share. Then say, from from what we've all heard then, what do we think are three things that we should take forwards into this thing? So you're given a chance for that filter of emotion to just dissipate out and be considered consciously to potentially take forwards. That's one way you could do it. I like that. So run run through those four steps again. What was my initial response? Initial emotional response. Yeah, initial emotional response. What story of mine does that emotion result from? If I factor, if I think of that story, what helps this solution we're trying to find, or what hinders it? What factors are critical for us to take forward, bearing that in mind? So what's the emotional response? What
1: story is triggering that? Yeah what's the sorry what's your third question again what's the
0: it's that's two part that's the choice that's the road of choice what could help us with what we're trying to achieve and what could hinder us from what that story brings to the tale. okay
1: and then given that what should we take forward as a group yeah. yeah okay and what sort of stories might come up in that
0: to bring it to life for people well, an example, because I've ran this this model before with people, and an example is particularly in older generational teams. We've been there and done that before. It never works. Story behind it, when we did it last time, it really hurt me that we didn't get to the solution that we wanted. Okay, so what we know is that the, the part of it that's hindering you is the feeling of not wanting to feel that way again. But what helps us is that realize that it's actually based on your experience of the past. So could we look at this differently? What's different between the previous time we ran this or that there? So it cuts through that judgment and the bias and the assumption that's going on that's leading to the first statements. Yeah.
1: Or in that example, even like, okay, given that past experience that's making you feel fear and mm. uh, disconnection from this idea. What what would we do if we implemented this idea to reduce the likelihood of mm. a similar outcome to last time? Mm. For example, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the the story that's um, come to mind for me in that example is uh, I was on a contract in a in a big corporate. Um, uh, it was an independent consultant for about eighteen months with this big corporate, working as part of their strategy team, and one of the the business at that time had two very big pillars of revenue it was essentially it's an enormous business like i forget the numbers but north of a billion pound turnover and it basically had that turnover was split between two different buckets one of which was declining and one of which was growing and the ceo's challenge to the strategy team was we need a third pillar there's too much risk in just having two we need a third so and this was this happened before i came in but the the process they ran through was a a very broad ideation process where they went out to the team and the team was a lot of people and they generate they got something like 900 ideas and they screened those ideas by a small group of people looking at a few words on a spreadsheet and going yes no yes no yes no and of those 900 ideas they rejected approximately 895 of them on that basis and then they took a few forwards and the ones they took forward were flawed in various ways and and never went anywhere and i remember coming in and thinking like it's such a shame that all of these ideas got rejected by a small number of people saying that'll never work <laughs> at that level and surely there's a better way of getting ideas from this enormously diverse group of people in that in that team getting them in and considering them more openly and figuring out how to, how they might, how they might run forwards. So I'm just reminded of that gut instinct of, well, I don't like it. It'll never work. I'm going to reject it. Mm. And the leadership failure there, If I can bring this back to leadership, I think was to concentrate the decision-making in the hands of people that were allowed to decide yes or no on ideas without having to justify those decisions or or share those decisions more broadly yeah,
0: just it sounds I, like... I can
1: i can just take my gut instinct of fear and reject things and no, therefore not have to do as much work afterwards and we'll just say oh we, we had ideas but they'll never
0: work and that strikes me as being more susceptible to the judgment bias and things that people place in the diversity moments where they're just taking it on face value, you know. Yeah. Rather than actually exploring their own story before seeing different stuff. Jamie, you've leant back in your chair in a ponderous and wonderful manner.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just almost in awe of the the scale of the the topic. Um noticing that we've explored it from a what is it? How do we define it? How do we help somebody understand the complexity of it? Um, we've not got much into many practicalities of it, but there's just a whole ream of things that I'm now thinking of in terms of if I was a leader today in an organization, either my my first leadership responsibility or I'm responsible for leaders of leaders, and how do I attract it? How do I um how do I harness it? How do I embrace it? How do I welcome it? How do I re- yeah retain it um how do I how do I respond to it myself? Um, all of these are fascinating different angles or lenses on this thing that we're calling diversity. And yet and this is the bit that I'm sitting that's pondering how little of that is really as, as Terry you pointed out at the very start how little of all of those rich avenues of exploration are really discussed um, not least how difficult it is to really genuinely, inclusively, diversely collaborate or to work alongside folks um, who might have very different perspectives on, on life or work uh, from yourself. And it just I mean, that's just one element to, that's not really discussed how difficult and challenging it is. And we, we talked a, a little way, you know, I like that uh, set of questions Graham, because I can imagine myself not only using that from a diversity lens, but just in general collaboration Um, because sometimes people feel that they've got to force collaboration when actually they don't really need collaboration. What they need is coordination or cooperation. And it's how do you explore that in a way that could could work for both? I think it's really nice. I think this is one of those topics where we could come back to it time and time again and explore a different dimension of it, to be perfectly honest.
0: Well, we we always talk about the consciousness of leadership, right? Yeah. This is one of those lenses to apply that consciousness through, which we should always be doing as leaders. That's what I would say in response to to what you proposed there, Jamie.
2: Yeah. Uh, one one final thought from me though is for any leader, new, medium, old, um, or long-serving, rather than old. Because I have like... to
0: say, medium. What medium? Well done. Medium rare. Medium tenure. Medium is capability. We're, define <laughs> medium, buddy. Short.
2: Medium. <laughs> longer tenure, uh, no matter age or persuasion of any sort. Um, is not to underestimate what diversity means and to simplify it into just, it's about giving somebody a label and making sure there's enough visible labels in the room. That is a singular mistake that I think some of the diversity activist lobby, which we haven't even talked about that, um, is is failing their stakeholders with, trying to boil it down to the fact it's just about giving people labels and making sure there's enough of a spread of those it's it's much deeper, it's much richer, it's much more exciting, it's much more fulfilling and productive and, and positive than all of that. But it's it's complex and it's hard.
0: Well, I leave to Derry to finish. I was going to say, the build I would add on that is, as leaders don't stop by just what you physically see. Keep going, learn more, explore more, find the potential that's there in every single one of us. That would be my
1: Well, this has been a remarkable conversation because I came in thinking we're having a short conversation this week. We'll probably just scratch the surface. And actually, I'm leaving with several light bulb moments and and frameworks to walk away from with this. So first of all, I've got fundamentally, if you want to make diversity work for you, you've got to come in with a sense of curiosity, a lack of preconception, a lack of judgment. Secondly, we've got the practical tool of using pies, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and thinking about where someone's coming from on each of those levels. We've got Graham's very practical four questions of if I have a, an emotional reaction to some, something that someone says, what is that emotional reaction? What's the story behind it that is triggering that reaction in me? How can that story serve or or counter the decision we're trying to take? And therefore, what should we as a group take forward and adapt and learn from as a, as a result of that emotional reaction that you have? So in I think we've only been talking for 40 minutes. We've covered a lot of interesting ideas within diversity. There is a ton of other stuff that we can talk about, but there's still three or four really practical things that we're walking away with and i hope that people listening can take those and run with them and uh, we'd love to hear your own experiences of diversity as well thank you very much gents that was a very eye-opening conversation
0: subjects we cover in this podcast spark inspiration curiosity or concern within you do drop us a line details are in the comments below and we'll be happy there to listen and see how we can offer the best support for you <laughs>